but God opens the door to us even now. Come in. Learn of me. Enjoy me. Because as you learn more of the Lord, because of how great he is, you're naturally going to be enamored with him. <laughs> you're going to be drawn to him. You're going to want to know more about him. And, and we see, we're looking at Moses here because we have so much detail of Moses' life in the Old Testament. He's, he's one of the characters that we have quite a, he and David, a few others. We have so much information. So we can learn as an example from them, right? That as Moses, you know, he had struggles in his faith. We looked at some of those on Sunday. Uh, but, but he worked through those. God was compassionate, patient supportive, encouraging through his struggles. So that encourages us because in our struggles, we want a God like that too, don't we? We don't want one that's going to throw us off the, off the ship as soon as we make a mistake. We want one that's going to be there for us. And he is. And what we want to look at here tonight is what is probably one of the more familiar stories in the book of Exodus, the Red Sea Crossing. Most of the kids have had that in Sunday school, right? The Red Sea Crossing. And, but there are some enormous lessons here, too, for our walk in this world with the Lord. And uh, basically, it, it, I'm going to divide it up in more than, th- than three parts, but really it divides up into three parts. The problem, the prayer, the power in answer to the prayer, if you want to say, and the praise. Okay, so we have problems. We turn to the Lord in prayer. He answers in his power, and hopefully, we don't forget to praise. We don't forget to give him thanks, right? And I've been there too. I sometimes forget. We get so excited about the deliverance and forget to thank the one who made it happen. And so the story really begins, uh, we say chapter 14 and 15, but it really begins in 13, 17. As you work through, the, the subject really changes after verse 16 of chapter 13. In 13, 17, and it goes all the way down to 15, 21. Because then 15, 22 moves on to a different episode in the wilderness journey. And I want you to think about the situation they find themselves in here. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like your back was against the wall? You ever been in that situation? I've been in it a few times in my life. I I hope that I don't have any more of them, but there will probably be a few more of them before it's up to the Lord, right? But where you feel like you you got no escape. You know, it can be happen because of things at work or because of financial pressures or because of health pressures. But you feel like you're up against a wall and there's no way out. Right. Where do you turn? Can't turn this way. Can't turn this way. Where do you turn? That way. Right. (laughs) And that's what they do. But the fascinating thing about this, you may not have noticed it in reading. I didn't always notice it in my first few readings of Exodus. The Lord led them there. Oh, you mean the Lord led them into a situation where their back was against the wall? Yeah. Can he lead you and me into situations like that too for our growth and learning? Yeah, but he always wants us to then come to him in prayer. So we'll pick up at a few things here. One of the great praise is actually... The, the earliest psalm 
in the Bible, the first several verses of chapter 15. It's called the Song of Moses, but you also have Deuteronomy 32. It's called the Song of Moses. But And, and of course, you got the reference in Revelation where they'll be singing the Song of Moses near the end of the tribulation period. I think it's the Exodus 15 song they're going to be singing then. And we'll look at that, too, in a minute. So, verses 17 to 22 of chapter 13. The, the, I'm using here the, just to continue the alliteration, provision. So this provision and then the pursuit of Pharaoh in the first uh, nine verses of chapter 14 both form the problem, sets up the problem. The problem is Pharaoh isn't going to let them go so easily. He changes his mind. And I think this is a picture. I think we can make an application to us. It's a picture Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. Egypt is a picture of the world system, right? Satan using the world system. And I think I could make the, I could certainly make the case in my testimony, and I think I could make the case in almost every testimony in this room. When you came to know the Lord as a young Christian, did you sense that Satan was coming after you to bring you back? He said, well, I, I wasn't looking for a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. No, I don't mean that. He doesn't wear a red suit and carry a pitchfork anyway. We know that, right? He's an anointed cherub who covers. No, he would use your friends, your old acquaintances, your relatives, your hobbies. He would use all kinds of things, things from our old life to lure us deceptively back. And that's what I think is happening here. All right, so we pick up the story, verse 17. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not, notice the not there, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, the short route or the easier route, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. (laughs) You say, that's the direct route. I want the direct route, right? We think of that sometimes in our own life. We look, well, Lord, I was trying to make a decision in prayer here. And I figured the best way was going to be the easy way, the short route. Well, we thought it was easy. See, the Lord's saying it wasn't going to be easy. There's going to be warfare and it would scare them. And they weren't ready for it. They needed to grow first. So he takes them the longer route, see. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks, which is an amazing miracle in itself. When you think of a million and a half people marching through a wilderness in orderly ranks. Numbers gives us the details of that, right? God is not a God of disorder, but of order. And they're doing it. And he wants us to meet in order too, like we do. And Moses took the bones of Joseph. That, that, that's a whole sermon in itself in verse 19. So verse 20, they took their journey from Sukkot and camped in Etam at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day. And this is why I'm using the word provision. Who's the one leading them? Who's the one providing for them? Pillar of cloud to lead the way by night. Pillar of fire to give them light. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud. So he's taking them along where he takes them is between two mountains, a mountain on this side, a mountain on this side, the Red Sea behind them and out to the west, Pharaoh's army. (laughs) 
That's why I say they were backed up against the wall. They had nowhere to go. They're not going to go toward Pharaoh. They can't get over the mountains. They can't cross the sea. Perfect place to break them of self and pride. Amen? You had one of those in your life lately? I hope so. Not for the sense of hurting you, but in the sense of your growth. So you'd learn about the Lord in a way you would never learn about Him. By reading in a book about Him. Right? Life experiences. So, remember Pharaoh, he's thinking without God. We saw that in chapters 6 through 12. Well, we didn't see it, but you could see it if you read those chapters. The whole battle between Pharaoh and Jehovah. So he thinks, thinking worldly. See, he doesn't know about verses 17 to 22 that God is leading them. He thinks, oh, they're lost. They're mingling around in the wilderness and they've lost their way. They're just a sitting duck, if you want to use the old expression in Texas. And I'm just going to go back and take them because after all, I'm still building my great monuments in my cities here and I need my slaves and I let my slave work go. So he says, Speak to the children of Israel, verse 1 of chapter 14, that they turn and camp before Pihari Roth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon, that she camp, and they shall camp there before the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. And notice this, you see God's intervention? I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. And the Egyptians may know that I am Jehovah. Who else found out that Jehovah was the real and true God that found out about this story? Rahab, way over there in Jericho, right? On the trade route. These trade people on the trade route, they heard about the story. and They passed it around the whole world or eventually learned about it. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. And they said, see how they're human reasoning? Why have we done this? That we let Israel go from serving us. They were our slaves. We need them back. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And also 600 choice chariots. Can you imagine this force coming towards Israel? And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of his horsemen, his army, and he overtook them, camping by the sea. Now here's the prayer. Verse 10. See if you can relate to this kind of a prayer. When Pharaoh drew near... Children of Israel, Israel lifted their eyes. They knew they were in danger. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel did what? They cried out to Jehovah. Good. Do you? Do I? We're backed up against the wall. Sometimes we first thing we'll do, we'll call a friend, maybe even an unbeliever, and complain about how, after all I've done for God, look how he's treated me, and now he's got my back up against the You know, that's, that's the wrong thing to do. We want to go to the Lord in prayer first. That is a habit we have to cultivate. It's not automatic. 
Sorry, children, it's not automatic. You have to cultivate that through life experiences, right? We get into the habit of going always to the Lord first. I'm not saying I'm an expert at it either. I'm, I'm a work in progress too, okay? Like Moses, like the rest of them. But we're saddened by what they go on and do. They don't, and, and I can relate to this in prayer too, right? You, they pray to God and then they whine against God. Been there and done that too, right? After all, why did you, you know? And so, <laughs> because there's no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word? And so forth and so on. Why don't you just keep it to the prayer to Jehovah? But you see how weak their faith is. And can you relate to this? It's weak faith that talks like this, that whines and complains instead of trusting. Like Corey Tim Boone's book years ago, Don't Wrestle, Just Nestle. <laughs> just nestle in his arms. She learned it through the concentration camps, right? Losing her dear older sister Betsy and, and all the suffering that went with that. And then here, here comes Moses. And the faith of Moses. See, remember, Moses didn't even want to go to deliver this people. We looked at that on Sunday. He didn't, he said, go get someone else, Lord. This isn't for me. I'm through. They rejected me. I went the wrong way. I killed the Egyptian and then I had to flee and everything. And so it's over for me. I'm paraphrasing. And the Lord said, no, I'm not through with you. I plan to use you to deliver that, and you're going to do it with my help. And so it starts off, Moses says, well, I can't talk right. So he sends Aaron, his brother, with him. And it's interesting. Follow the, the story. You read through the account. It starts off, Aaron is the spokesperson, and Moses is kind of in the background. And Moses, I think, begins to see the privilege. He begins to see the power of God at work in these miracles and he begins to realize his privilege and before you know it, suddenly Moses is doing the talking and Aaron's in the background and then Aaron's not even around almost. Moses has taken the role that God called him and equipped him to be right from the beginning. I love that. What a progression you see. That's in chapters 5 through 12. But here he stands up. Moses, verse 13, said to the people, verse 13 and 14, I've got them on a little plaque next to my reading area in the morning in gold embossed so I don't miss it. It's a great reminder. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah, which he will accomplish for you today. So maybe there's someone in this room we don't know. We don't know what all details people's lives may be, may be dealing with. Maybe there's someone in this room that can be asking the Lord in prayer right now, tonight. Lord, I need to see the salvation of the Lord today in my life. With whatever the difficulty is. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Great counsel from Moses. Stand still. Don't get anxious. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Don't get anxious. Don't get excited. Don't whine and complain. Stand, be still. And see, God's going to do this, right? 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Egyptians that pursued them, I believe that these would have been unbelieving mercenary soldiers. They didn't care about the things of God. They, they killed people for money. That's what mercenary soldiers did. All of the great empires of the past used mercenary soldiers. We kind of do too. You know, we're not too different even today. And they were professional killers. And, and so if they were unbelievers, they were not only going to drown physical death, they'd be in the wrong place after death too. And, that verse would be fulfilled. They would not be seen again forever. And the Satan that pursued you and me and tried to draw us back into our old life, which I trust, since we're all here, we resisted steadfast in the faith, right? We resisted the devil. There's going to be a time where we're going to see him no more forever too. When he's put in the lake of fire. Do you ever think about that? Greater is he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. Don't forget. Satan won't remind you of that verse. He'll try to come in with all his. Entourage. And and, and you know he does have power. But it's nothing compared to the power of God. Amen. Power of God is greater. We have to remind ourselves of that. And then Moses says. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. <laughs> One of the versions says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall be still. The stillness of faith and trust in the Lord. Just be still. You know how we used to say that with our, when our kids got anxious about something? Just be still because we knew, as, well, not, I, I'm not a parent, but you as parents know, just tell them, you know that it's going to work out. They don't. And they're all anxious and, and ruffled. Just be still. And they get up, be still. <laughs> you got to usually tell them more than once, right? And God has to tell us more than once. Thank God he does. He's a loving father, right? He understands our weakness. He knows we're like dust. And, and so he's tender. But he, he can be firm too, like he had to be with Moses earlier. And so then the, the, the account, you know how it... It goes beginning in verse 15. And, and another reminder, we talked about the movies, you know, then I was watching, uh, one of the Christian television stations a few years ago and they were doing a depiction of this story. You know, they try to do, um, drama of, of the stories of the Bible. And that's fine if they just follow the Bible. You know, the Bible's the word of God, not a man-made script. We, we try to doctor it up with a man-made script. And so they, they show them coming, walking through the sea and, and it's all wet and, and, and they're getting all wet and the water's splashing on them and they're getting, and, you know, and they're walking and they're trying to get through and four times it says they went through dry shod. That takes a greater miracle. To make that sea floor, which is how how deep a muck would there be in the bottom of a lake or a sea? Several feet deep. And to make that just a hardened pathway because of the wind that God blew in there. And and they never got wet. Two walls of water. The, the Israelites all go through. 
It takes greater power. And I'm not taking away from the power of God. Do you want to take away from the power of God and deny him his glory and his greatness? Not me. And, and don't let anyone do that to you. Stay with the word of God. The Holy Spirit's telling us this for a reason. Not just once, four times. He tells us that in this passage. But the Egyptians, on the other hand, they go through in their chariots. And I'm not sure, I haven't looked at the detail of uh, what the chariot wheels and axles were in that day, whether they were wooden or whether they had metal bearings. I mean, Aaron would know more how the bearings work on those wheels and all, but how that worked. But look what it says. God took off the chariot wheels in verse 25. So they got down in there. Not only did they get down in there, God saw to it that they stayed there. So the very thing the Egyptians were counting on as their strength, which in that day, you know, it would be like a, a tank in military strategic warfare anyway in our day, be of great value, the chariots, as opposed to people on foot. And here they get stuck. The Lord intervenes. Do you think the Lord intervenes still in our lives today? Oh, yeah. More ways than you know. More ways than I give him credit for. I think sometimes I'm on the highway a lot. And people drive today on the highway a lot faster than they used to 20 years ago. And a lot more wickedly and lane changing on that. And you have to be looking in, I tell people, six different directions. Not just four, six different directions. <laughs> You've got to be looking up and down into all four. Trying to make sure that you stay out of their way. And I gotta feel like the Lord has intervened an angel or some, whatever, because there have been some vehicles we, we had up in Wichita, Kansas. A Corvette went by us. We we're coming back from prayer meeting. And, and, and we were just talking in the car. And I could hear two cars coming up from the back and I'm looking at the driver and I'm thinking, uh, I hope you're looking in the rear view mirror because I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I know something's coming up for fierce. And, and, and he, and the Corvette is, he hits the retaining wall and he had to be going way over 60 or 70, probably a hundred. And he slides right across our front fender sideways, backwards. Corvette convertible sliding across and he's sliding probably as fast as he was going forward. And the other cars coming up and the others, they were, I don't know if they were racing or what. And we're talking about the Lord. And the brother says, oh, what was that? <laughs> we're just trusting the Lord, see? And I think that was a miracle. Because I, I, from the physics of it, the angle of what he, I don't know how he didn't hit us sliding across. And how many times I could name dozens of times when I've seen these things. And these are just the ones I've observed. There, there are a lot of them we don't pick up on, right? And we want to still give God the glory. So the Lord delivers them. And they know it, right? And when you've had a miracle deliverance and you know it, doesn't that give you great strength in your faith? So what are you going to do? Just go on and be rejoicing in the fact that you got a deliverance? Or are you going to stop and think about who gave you that gift? Who gave you the deliverance? That's what they do here. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egypt. That's verse 30. Thus is, verse 31, Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. 
So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. See, relationship was strengthened. The bond with the Lord was strengthened because of the miracle deliverance they experienced. Now, it started off like a hopeless story, right? They're back against the wall. God used that to turn them to him in prayer. And when they turned to him in prayer, they got a miracle deliverance. And now they're going to sing one of the great songs of praise in the Bible here. In chapter 15, it, it, it's still, I get goosebumps when I still when I read it. I mean, this, this is so powerful. So then verse one of chapter 15, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now, I would divide it up. It's a hard one to divide up sometimes, and some of these psalms are. But I would divide it up this way. Verses 1 through 5, glorious triumph. He, he repeats this word glorious. That's a great word talking about God, isn't it? And then verse 6 through 10, glorious in power. And verses 11 to 13, glorious in holiness, who he is. You see how it escalates from triumph to power to holiness? And then... The goal in verses 14 to 18 is communion with him in glory, the sanctuary. So, and, and then of course Miriam follows in verses 20 and 21 with a refrain. She takes up uh, the tambourine, the timbrel in her hand, and the women all went out with her in timbrels and dances and sang, sing to Jehovah. Just verse one, they sing it in a refrain. By the way, I, you know, sometimes we talk about the, a lot of people like to talk about these 7-Eleven choruses, you know, seven lines sing 11 times. Be careful there. God doesn't mind that kind of phrase. Psalm 136 is, what is it, two lines repeated 26 times? <laughs> so God doesn't mind repetition. It's a great teaching tool, right? Repetition is a great way to remind ourselves of things. And so I don't have a problem with you. We can use a lot of discretion there, of course, and different other things. But I think repetition can be... So here we see it. I will sing, verse 1, to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. When you were saved from bondage to sin, death, an eternal condemnation from the clutches of your Pharaoh, if I may say so, the devil. Would you agree with the Holy Spirit that the Lord triumphed gloriously in your salvation? He did. Make sure he knows it. <laughs> he wants to hear it in your voice. Right? You don't have to do it here in public, but if you've got a prayer closet at home or use your whole garage if you want to or whatever and just get on your knees or get on your face or sit in a chair or however posture you want to and just pronounce it to him. You know, I will sing to Jehovah for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, he is thrown into the sea. Now you say, well, that's that poor horse and the rider. Yeah, well, think of the poor horse and the rider as someone who's getting ready to kill you and destroy you and put you in a lost eternity. Is that not good that you were delivered from that? You see, the Lord is going to deal with evil. He's already dealing with it in his own way, but there's going to be a coming day when he does. The Lord himself is my strength 
and song. I hope he's yours too. He has become my salvation. He is my God. See how personal this is? I will praise him. I don't praise men like brother said in his prayer. I don't praise my own strength. I don't praise my own scheming. I don't praise some sort of a institution that I belong to. I praise him personally, right? He's my father's God. I will exalt him. Jehovah is a man of war. Jehovah's his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, there was no match for him. His chosen, Pharaoh's chosen captains, no match for him. The depths have covered them. I love this phrase in verse 5. They sank to the bottom like a stone. It will repeat it again in verse 10. They sank like lead in mighty waters, right to the bottom. They were no match for the Lord. <laughs> and he's still our Lord. And I love him for it. I love him for his strength and I'm drawn to him and it makes me enamored with him more and more when I think about this and how he does this, not just at my conversion now, but in multiple times throughout my life and growth. Thank you for that accent. That's true. The Lord gets the glory. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Verse 6, glory. So now we're talking about the power that effected this. Your right hand, which is a picture of Messiah, Right? Your right hand, it's a place of strength, has become glorious. In, your right hand, O oh Lord, he repeats it, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness, I love this phrase, in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who were against you. See, they were against God. This isn't some sort of ethnic preference thing. Don't fall for that. That's what the liberal theologians try to do with the Bible. They don't believe in the literal miracles of the Bible. They don't believe in the resurrection. It's not some sort of ethnic preference thing that he has, that Israel's some favorite. God doesn't have any favorite nation. The Bible says there's no favoritism with God. He loves all the nations. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation, right? He chose Israel for certain things. Just as he has chosen us for certain things. You've overthrown him. The greatness of your excellence. You ever think about God that way when you're in your early morning time with him? Isn't he excellent? And great in it? And then, one of the, to me, one of the great memory verses of the Bible, verse 11. Who is like you, O Jehovah? Mikael, the name Mikael, Michael the archangel, who is like God. Mikael, who is like Jehovah. Remember we have the prophet Mikael that stood up to King Ahab. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? In other words, Father, you are incomparable. Have you ever prayed that? There's no comparison to you, Father. He's your Father. Learn to speak of him that way. The Lord Jesus taught us that. Who is like you? Glorious in holiness. Fearful in praises. Doing wonders. See the threefold description of him? He's glorious in holiness. That's who he is. Even if he didn't deliver them. Or you. Or me. He's still glorious in holiness because of who he is. But fearful in praises. <laughs> Because of his power and supremacy and authority in doing wonders like the wonder of the deliverance of the Red Sea, which is a picture of your salvation and mine. 
The Red Sea crossing is a picture of that. As the waters closed up, they couldn't go back to Egypt and they weren't supposed to go back to Egypt and you're not supposed to go back to your old Egypt either and me either. Praise the Lord, right? Who would want to if you knew what was on the other side in the Canaan land of fruitful blessing and service and testimony for the living God here on earth? Who would want to go back to our old life and to the emptiness, to the wastefulness of it, right? You stretched out your right hand. You have redeemed. And then in verses 14 to 18, the people will hear and be afraid. Rahab expressed that. The people of Philistia, the people of Edom, the people of Moab, people of Canaan, all that was proven too true in the first few chapters of Joshua. Fear and dread, verse 16, will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be still as a stone till your people pass over. How long? Until you accomplish your purposes in your children. He has a purpose for you. You're a child of God. He has a purpose that he formed for you in eternity past. (laughs) You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, which he did. The historical books and then even secular history verifies that. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, the place of communion and fellowship. The Holy of Holies. First in the tabernacle, then in the temple, on the mountain of his holiness. Where he will establish a temple again in the tribulation period. Where after that, he'll establish a temple again in the millennium. And then when the eternal state begins, heaven and earth will unite and the Lord himself will be our temple. In that same place, Jerusalem, the mountain of his holiness. God has a plan and he's working it out. Isn't it amazing? They saw that. These people. Now, we don't know who wrote this song, right? I mean, it doesn't attribute it to Moses. And we don't, maybe some of the Levites, Miriam, maybe, and some of the sisters wrote it. Some of our great hymns in the hymnal have been written by sisters. We acknowledge that. The Lord can do that. Oh, wow. What an encouragement. So if you know someone tonight whose back is against the wall, most of us do. Someone who you know is in a desperate... They may even be thinking suicide. We don't know. The people are struggling in our world today. Think of this. Maybe this is something you can share with them. There's hope. There's hope in the living and true God for Jesus Christ. And we're here to tell them about it. Amen? And to acknowledge His greatness. So, Father, we thank you for this time tonight, the opportunity to intercede in prayer earlier for many, many dear dear people in, in this region and other parts of the world, too. And we pray, O oh Lord, as we think about these truths here in these chapters in Exodus, in the life of Moses, for the life of the Israelites, and how we're making application to us as your people today. Help us to appreciate and value and treasure you more including the speaker, help all of us to treasure you more. Lord, you are so worthy. Help us to draw near. You've opened the door to us. We have access 
through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So we thank you, O Lord. Be with us as we travel home. The roads are wet. We pray that you'll get us all home safely as we thank you now once again for this privileged time. In the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen.